Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's me, the same guy you listen to every week whenever you decide to listen to this. I'm here to talk about Fire Emblem Awakening with a big-name fan of the game, Metal Lover Ben. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yay, everybody golf clap, yay. Although, uh, I don't know how big-name I am. It does make me feel good to uh, hear myself described that way, but I, I, I've just written a little bit of fan fiction. Trying to go for the humble approach here. Does does it come across? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I seem to re- I seem to recall people talking about your work, and it even got a TV tropes page and stuff. And I, I know that's not like a Herculean achievement or anything, but you, you're probably a little bit known. You mentioned sometimes that you have like readers and stuff. So in the sea I thought... of fan fiction, I actually exist. So let's just go with that. <laughs> Yeah, so in my mind, you're, you've been kind of solidified as the Fire Emblem Awakening guy, so I thought you'd be a good person to talk about the game with, since we also happen to know each other. Indeed, and it is good to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, it's nice to feel appreciated. <laughs> oh, no problem. So, usually with guests, I like to kind of start with our respective histories with the game. I kind of have the story everyone has with Fire Emblem Awakening is, oh, this game looks neat, everyone's talking about it, I better play it. And now I play Fire Emblem games sometimes. You know, a lot of people actually did find the series through this game. I'm one of the OG kind of, I've been playing this game since the original one in like 2007 or whenever it was released in the West um, on the Game Boy Advance, so... Awakening came out and I lost my mind because it was like, oh my, ah, ah, 3D graphics, I need it, I need it. I need it. Yeah, basically that. But uh, yeah, we actually had a thing because I live in Australia where we had to wait like an extra six months after the States to get this game. And yeah, I actually like, I got really lucky. I only had to wait about an extra month because I had family coming back from Canada at the time, so... Yeah, that was great. I mean, I had to tie my brother up so I could play his 3DS and just, like, put him in a corner in the closet so that he couldn't <laughs> bother me. But I got through it. I got through it. <laughs> I think it took me a while to get into the game, too, because I don't remember when it came out, but it was already out for a few months. I got it on my next birthday because people were throwing around characters from this game for Super Smash Brothers 3DS and Wii U, and I thought... Well, all right, I'd better go see what this is about. Yeah, better uh, make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. A year later, Robin and Lucina are in Smash Brothers 4, and I thought, hey, I know who those are now. (laughs) To be honest, now that I think back on it, Lucina was kind of the reason I got interested in the game, because someone described her storyline to me, and I thought, whoa, that sounds really cool. And I didn't realize until later that she's basically Trunks from Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a pretty apt comparison. Um, Now that I think about it, she's kind of like a cross between Trunks and um, Saber from Fate Stay Night, just with the personality. I'll have to take your word on that. Yeah, for all the Fate fans out there, I'm not the only one, I I swear. (laughs) 
But uh, I kind of did the same thing with uh, Melee back um, on the GameCube days. I saw Marth and Roy in Melee. Like, I unlocked them, and I was like, who are these anime characters? Smash Brothers is just the perfect Fire Emblem advertisement, it seems. Well, that's basically why they were included, apparently. Um, Uh Yeah, the, what was it, Sealed Sword had just come out in Japan on the Game Boy Advance. And they wanted to advertise, so Nintendo were like, hey, we got Smash coming out, let's throw them in. Yeah, I think that's how Roy got in. And the rest is history. I think Roy was put in before his own game, but that's only because his game got delayed a little bit. Yeah, advertising. I mean, if you've got all these games coming out and Nintendo have all the time in the world to play with this kind of stuff, you can't really blame them. To think we probably wouldn't even be here talking about this if not for Marth and Roy and Melee. So major props to Marth and Roy. They they important influential movers and shakers. And then Roy basically disappeared from the Smash roster forever. Well he came back. As a DLC character. Actually no, he's a main oh. roster character now, isn't he? Yeah, now an ultimate. That shows you how much attention I pay. <laughs> Since you have a reputation, at least to me, as being <laughs> as being the Awakening guy, I, I take it that Awakening left a good impression on you. It left one on me. Awakening was kind of the right thing at the right time for me. Like, I'd just gone through, like, a big um, kind of shift in my life at the time. I needed something to distract me, and Awakening kind of fell into my lap at that point in time. I was sort of, like, done with Fire Emblem at that point. It had been years since I'd played a Fire Emblem game. Like, Shadow Dragon came out before that, and it was sort of like, nah, okay, yeah, this is just a remaster of the original. And, uh, yeah, we missed uh, the Dragon of Darkness and Sword of Light here in the West, so we didn't get that hype as well. And, yeah, Awakening just kind of fell into my lap at the right time, and I sort of went, wow, wow. Wow. Yeah, basically, like the meme, wow. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was the character models that did it for me eventually, uh, originally because uh, they seemed a lot more, I don't know how to describe it, like clean. They Peg seemed legged. cleaner. Well, that too, but <laughs> yeah, they, they just, the, the art style seemed cleaner than um, Masamune Shiro's work for the DS games. Well, that makes sense. The 3DS is a more powerful system. Yeah. Yeah, you can pro- you could squeeze like prettier graphics out of it as well. Plus, you know, 3D and there was voice acting and you know, it was nice to hear decent voice acting because the cutscenes from the Radiance games kind of made my ears bleed. Oh yeah, they really put their best foot forward with Awakening, I think. Mm. A lot of little details and touches. I know that Eventually, people got soured on the support with everyone thing, but... Are you kidding? That was, was like, the still... best part! Well, yeah, I mean, eventually, by, like, basically by Fates. True, okay, but yeah. To the point where there was a skeleton of its former self in Shadows of Valentia. But as for this game, though, it was pretty robust and, I guess, new at the time. Even the latecomer characters, like when you could recruit some of the arc villains, they were basically treated by the game as equal to everyone else, despite the fact that they could only support Robin. So I guess really just went all out on this one. 
Yeah, it was nice to see, especially because before this, like, as a rule in the games that had support conversations, you could only have five. So you could do, like, an A support with one character and then have a couple of others just on the side there. I, I, I guess that really did... Uh, uh, what's the word? There's a word. Um, 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 incite, L- l- Limit? No, it incited oh. replay value, I guess. You know, it made you want to play That's it again true. and again. Or just sit there in like one level and grind supports. Yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, it was nice to be able to do all, of, like almost all of them in one place. For me, like for like the lore chasing kind of people. Mm-hmm. Because there's still things I'm learning about characters from the older games that I didn't know. Like I'm still learning new things about these older games 15 years later. This was a pretty new experience for me, of course, being my first Fire Emblem game that was to be expected. So it was kind of interesting seeing everything in this game and not knowing what was a new feature and what wasn't. Like the fact that you could go back to old maps and beat up random zombies. <laughs> that I thought you could do that in other games, but no, you can't. So, so I thought, oh! It was also interesting because this is, at least compared to Path of Radiance, I think, this is the first Fire Emblem to just accept the fact that it's kind of a more adult series. So it gets a little more adult with some of its dialogue and character tropes, I think. I do agree with you there, but I feel like it's adult in a different kind of way than some of the older games went. Just... Some of the, like, again, showing my age here because I've played, like, all the original ones. Like, um, the original genealogy of Holy War on the Super Nintendo, it was adult in the way that the story was a lot darker in tone. And, like, if you played the story of Awakening, it's pretty dark at points, yeah. But, I mean, it gets a lot darker in some of the earlier stuff. Like, I, I, I think a lot of the humor in Awakening was more adult-oriented. Well, not adult-oriented, but... You know what I'm trying to say, right? Like, it was adult in a different sort of way. Well, I see the point you're trying to make, and it makes me realize that I was just using bad word choice. I'm basically talking about the fact that I didn't expect my Nintendo game to have a lot of fan service and bad words. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> they kind of doubled down on that in the late in uh, Fates, though, didn't they? And that's one of the things that annoyed people. Yeah. It kind of accepted that Fire Emblem is going to be one of their more older audience-oriented series, it seems like. And I think it's actually kind of healthy for Nintendo to have that diversity. Yeah, definitely. Nobody wants to just play Mario's and Kirby's for the rest of their life. No, don't get me wrong, I love those games, but you you want a little bit of uh, variety. Yeah, you want to get different audiences. Are there any other general thoughts on the game that you want to share? Honestly, I feel like this is probably the best entry point to the series for newcomers to the Fire Emblem series. I know Fates, again, brought a lot of new people, like a a lot of new blood to the series. Just from everybody hearing about how amazing Awakening was and wanting to try the series for themselves. But um, rather than Fates, I definitely think Awakening is the more robust game and the better game for newcomers to the series because as much as I love the original Game Boy Advance games and they were like my gateway to the Fire Emblem franchise, 
they are very hard <laughs> compared to Awakening. Like, I mean, it took me a year to finish the first Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem. Like, a legitimate year. And for a good six months after that, I was still the only one that could beat the end boss. Like, my brothers were coming to me like, Ben, we can't beat the dragon! <laughs> then you just do, like, the, the, the knuckle crack, like, I got this, boys, it's okay. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you in the it's it's the good first impression. This is a thought that I sometimes have. I don't always have it though, but in a series there's the one game where you think, okay, what's a good first impression game to give people? And a lot of times it's just the first one in the series, but times like these awakening, I think would be a good example. I think even ignoring fates and going to shadows of Valencia, it shows that even if the older games have some of the, what what's the word, quality of life, I guess, quality of life improvements that the later games had, they're still actually pretty hard at times. That was the hardest Fire Emblem game I'd played of the three I've played. So that makes me think that Awakening really is good at getting the people to be more comfortable with the series yeah it, it has that kind of newcomer level and it's got like the difficulty levels so like if you're a total newbie to the series you can play on like casual mode where there's no permadeath or wait is casual mode in awakening oh yeah it was introduced with that one. yeah yeah sorry but like if you go back to like something like shadow dragon which again is the remake of the original NES Fire Emblem, whose name I am not even going to attempt to pronounce in Japanese. Yeah, like, that game is a totally different sort of beast, because it's just so much harder, and they give you so many units, cause, because they assume you are going to lose your units, and there's permadeath, so you lose these units, and they just keep throwing more at you, because it's like, yeah, yeah, we know, you're gonna suck, you're gonna die, it's okay. It's considerate of them, but then they realize that everyone just resets anyway. Especially with the inclusion of these support conversations, because it makes you feel bad about losing some of these characters. Like, in, in Shadow Dragon, like, you lose characters, and you're just like, meh, they, they, they were red shirts anyway, nobody cares about them. They, they were just my stormtroopers. But in, in, like, the Game Boy Advance ones, you lose a character, and you're like, oh, no, now we'll, now I will never know if she finds her brother or not. Or now I will never know if he uh, manages to get over the loss of whatever. You know, you, you feel invested in these characters. Yeah, you could say it worked too well. Yes, especially considering the waifu wars that followed. <laughs> oh, no. Uh... We're, we're not going there? Okay, no, that's that's okay. That's probably for the best. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a whole other beast. I kind of... I kind of just mentally lock that all away behind Fire Emblem Heroes now, if you want me yeah. to be honest. Actually, another... that game... Hmm? Uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I was just about to say, another thing that's I think is worth mentioning is the... Uh, I don't really think it's much of a spoiler because it's part of the uh, the actual point of the game is the inclusion of child characters, like a second generation again. That's one of those... uh, No, this is a really old game by now, and yeah, okay. it's been in Smash Brothers games by now. I think it's okay anyone who really knows. This, yeah? I mean, I already compared Lucina to Trunks, so I'm holding the smoking gun here. <laughs> okay, then. 
But um, that was one of the big selling points for this game, especially in Japan, where they like their uh, their pair up. I guess you could say they like their shipping. Um, the inclusion of like a second generation of children characters, which hasn't been done in the series since I think Genealogy of Holy War. I don't think Thracia Seven Seven Six did it, but yeah, that was another big selling point because people got this generation of children characters, and. Like, it was such a big deal. People loved it so much that they shoehorned it into Fates and it kind of blew up in their faces, but that's beside the point. I just thought it was an interesting thing that they actually added it back and made it relevant to the story. Yeah, that was pretty good of them to make it work. Rather than, oh, we had a kid, let's stick him in a pocket dimension where time runs faster. And all the kids are decently popular. Or at least a, a number of them are. Most of them. I think there's a couple that sort of fell flat, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you can't expect everybody to be popular. Now, now I'm trying to remember, like, one of the unpopular ones, and I can't remember his name. I think it was Brady? Yeah, there's Brady, there's, um, I cannot, I, I have yet to figure out how to pronounce her name, but, um, Kjell, Kjell, I don't know, K-J-E-L-L-E. Okay, I, I think it's, I think it's like Shell or something? Oh, I don't, I don't really know. know, we've no. had this, like... They throw random J's into the names like it was an argument among my like friends group and among like the um, audio drama group for like a year about how to pronounce the name Tharja because I <laughs> I steadfastly believed it had like the soft J like the Nordic soft J like um, Tara if that makes sense oh. like so I for five years in my head, called her Thara. Because that just sounds... Like, it rolls off the tongue easier. Oh, and yeah, then, something similar to that. And then, yeah, no, Nintendo kind of slapped us with, not nah, hard J, Tharja, deal with it. Oh. Like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, thanks. That, that's that's great, Nintendo, thanks. Yeah, you didn't just undo, like, a million words of fan fiction. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm kind of used to that with the Legend of Zelda series, where... As of Breath of the Wild, when they have voice acting, it's like, oh no, they're going to say this word. Or actually, no, as of Hyrule Warriors, even. Yeah. It's like, oh no, they're, they're going to say this word. How are they going to pronounce it? Am I going to be wrong my whole life? <laughs> I don't remember Zelda being up too Zelda. bad, though. A lot of it was still phonetic. Yeah, yeah. It's not it, It's it, not as much of a crapshoot as Fire Emblem Awakening I mean, was. it's not like they're going, it's now called the Maester Sword. <laughs> no, this isn't Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Ooh, shots fired. So, so uh, any other general thoughts on the game? Eh, not really. Okay, well, I do want to mention that it had quite a bit of DLC, and I think if someone found the game to be a little on the easy side, some of these DLCs were actually pretty difficult. Ugh. getting flashbacks here. <laughs> Some of those DLC, yeah, they were pretty pretty savage. Uh there was a there was actually like story-based DLC. Like the there's story behind the DLC. Like they had character polls in Japan for who was the most popular and the top 4 most popular characters, like the for top 2 women and the top 2 male characters got like special artwork CGs drawn into these uh story missions. And they did that with both generations of the characters. So, like, they had those little story missions. 
as well as like extra dialogue and stuff like that. It was nice to see these characters interacting a little more. Oh yeah, yeah. And then they had the challenge maps. Yes, the challenge maps. I still have frustrated tears of rage every time I think about it. Oh, my God. They also had those maps that were involving other versions of your child units, but this time they had parent-specific support talks on the map if you talked to them. Yeah, yeah. Compared to Fates or compared to, like, uh, Shadows of Valentia actually had some pretty good DLC too, but Awakening, I felt, yes, it was a little bit excessive with the DLC, but a lot of the DLC did have a point. Yeah. Not so much with Echoes. Oh, not Echoes, mm. not Echoes. Echoes had good DLC. That's where all the story was. I mean, um, with Fates. Oh. Uh. Echoes is an old game, okay? They had to put the story somewhere. Let's see... Let's get into some of our, like, maybe our favorite moments or favorite features of the game. Just kind of things we enjoyed as we played Awakening. Um, I still remember the first time I got to, like, an S support with the Avatar character. And all of a sudden, I got, like, the image of the character, like, the character I'd S supported, like, blushing. And there's bubbles in the background. And I'm like, what What is is going going on? (laughs) <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like my avatar character is married and I'm like oh so that's what that does <laughs> I remember I didn't know that Krom had to be married by the end of chapter 11 so we beat up Gangrel suddenly he starts talking to Soli about something <laughs> and now they're married and I thought oh well, okay sure oh, well that's a thing yeah Funnily enough, the character that I did like that first as support with was Sully as well. So, Sully's just you know the first woman of the game. Well, when you've got I a think. personality like that, you take what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. Do you make it a point to marry your avatar off whenever you play these games, or do you just kind of let whatever happens happens? I am weeb trash in that I. Like, I pick the character that I want like I want to marry him to, and then go for it. Like, that's, like, the entire point of my playthrough at this point. Like, I've played through this game so many times, I could give you the script off the top of my head. Don't actually ask me to do that. That was a comic over-exaggeration. But still, like, <laughs> you get the point. Like, at, at this point, I'm just playing for, like, the warm, ting- the warm fuzzies inside when I finally reach that S-support, you know? <laughs> I see. Yeah, I mostly try to marry my avatar off in the different games because I I just want to unlock as many support conversations as I can. When I first played this game, I remember I married Robin off to Anna, and then I played as the female Robin, and I married her off to Krom because I thought the story would be a little more interesting that way. And it is, you do get a couple of different lines of dialogue, but it doesn't make that much of a difference. No, not much of one, but just the little knowledge that there's that extra layer to their companionship. It just kind of... Yeah, there's an extra it, little it level to the relationship and to the story. Like, it makes it a bit more heavy at points, I guess you could say. It's kind of funny, though, is that they're one of the most popular avatar marriage options or one of the most popular crom marriage options either but by the same token i've made a point of never pairing up 
prom with Samia because the game wants me to. And I'm like, no, don't tell me who to pair off. You gave me all these characters. Yeah, I'll don't... pair off whoever I want. Yeah, like, whatever, whatever. You're not the boss of me. Mm-mm. It's for the same reason I never pair up Corin and Azura whenever I play Fates because the game wants me to. So I'm like, no. Okay. I don't do that for other reasons, but hey, whatever works for well, you. Well, okay, there are other reasons to avoid that. But that's a whole different hornet's nest that we're not going to kick. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ultimately, whatever. It's everyone's video game. They can play however they want. I'm just talking about... We're just talking about our approach to it. Yeah. Actually, I wrote Fate's fanfiction as well, and at one point I said no. I am not going to pair up Corrin and Azura in this story, and my numbers plummeted. Like, overnight. <laughs> yeah. That's how popular the ship is. Yeah. But I, I get what you mean, and yeah, I, I see Crom and Robin being, like, a cute couple. They are a pretty popular pairing in the fandom. Like, it is a little hypocritical of me to kind of go for that one and then say the other one is just too easy to pair them <laughs> up. I realized that a little early on. One moment that always sticks out to me from my first playthrough of Awakening is the first time one of my weapons broke. <laughs> yeah. It was a very, oh, it's that kind of game. Yeah, in my head... Like, in my head, whenever a weapon breaks now, like, when I think back to it, I actually get, like, the Breath of the Wild, like, explosion of weapon, <laughs> like, in my head. Like, that's what what I see when I think about weapons breaking in Fire Emblem now. That'd be fun. Well, hopefully we'll get that in Three Houses. It'd be nice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's actually a pretty fun animation. You just, I would hit things until my sword exploded. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's an exploding sword! It's kind of funny. That every Fire Emblem game I've played since then doesn't have breakable weapons. But That's I, a good I, point, I actually, actually don't actually don't mind that mechanic too much. I thought it was a good mechanic just because it makes you think a little bit more carefully about your strategy. Especially in the Game Boy Advance games where shops are kinda few and far between. I also think the fact that you had sort of robust inventories in the three DS games before Shadows of Valentia also goes a long way towards making it more viable to carry different types of weapons. Because that, that's something that bothered me in Shadows of Valentia, that you have one item slot, and it, it's usually just food or one accessory. Yeah, so it makes it a good thing that they had unbreakable weapons. Yeah, you just stick a shield on your healer and hope for the best. <laughs> Go on out there! <laughs> but yeah, having inventory space... I think having it limited, like having the amount you can carry limited, like in Awakening or even in the Game Boy Advance games, is a better idea than Path of Radiance's approach, which was you can carry five weapons and you can carry five items. Like, what am I, the Doom guy? <laughs> yeah, it seems a little bit much. Maybe on a lower difficulty, sure, but I think Awakening handled it just fine. That would be my model to go back to. I think that for the style that uh, Shadows of Valentia was going for it definitely kind of worked for that but it was jarring at first I think mm -hmm. you go from all of a sudden having like 
a weapon and four vulneraries just because you know you don't want your tank to uh, get incapacitated to having like an orange and it's like okay okay i have an orange it only heals 10 hp well where's my healer <laughs> what do you think of the story of awakening well i think i wrote 600,000 words of fan fiction for it so i think i'm rather invested <laughs> in it that's fair enough Actually, at this point, I think it's closer to a million. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, I five years of my life writing fanfiction for this story. Um, honestly, as far as complexity goes, especially, com again, compared to older games in the series, I don't think the story is that complex. Like, no. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you got the, e you got the bad guy, you got the characters. They did add that extra layer with the time-traveling kids. Minor spoiler warning. I guess. But, um, yeah, I, I think, again, that's what makes it such a good entry-level game because the story isn't Game of Thrones-level complex. You don't have, like... I remember having flowcharts, basically, in Genealogy of Holy War because I couldn't keep track of who was who and what was going on. I mean, just showing me what happens in Path of Radiance, like, it already looks a little more complex, or at least... A lot more politically motivated than any of the games I've played in the series. Yeah, I like that they kind of stepped back from that a little bit in Awakening. You know, like, you, yes, you've got the ruler of this country in your battle party, but no, the game doesn't focus on the politics, which I think something like uh, fantasy politics, I think is sort of a turnoff for casual gamers or casual fans, you know? Not everybody wants to have like the uh, flow charts or the spider charts or whatever you call them just to figure out what's going on. Looking at you, Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I will admit, now that you've got me thinking about it, Path of Radiance does seem a little ham on the politics, though. I imagine that's kind of the point of the game. Yeah, I think Path of Radiance is... like They, they had their point and they tried really hard to make it. You know, racism is bad against furries. But yeah. with Awakening, you can see that there is room for that kind of political tension, I guess you could say. Like, they kind of gloss over it, though. Especially early in, like, the um, the first arc of the game where it's, you know, Ulysses and Plegia fighting against each other. And they've got all that political tension between Emerin and Gangrel. And, you know, they don't really go into it, I guess. All of a sudden, you're just at war with this country, even though Emerin's been trying canonically for years to try and avoid war that's also not including like the gigantic crap show that is the second act of the game in Valm, where they just totally wasted all the potential in that story arc but hey that's just me that's just my opinion okay while we're there <laughs> i will agree that they didn't do enough to integrate it into the overall plot of the game i just remember we beat walhart then suddenly we have a chapter in Plegia again, and suddenly all this ominous music for the level is like, are, are we at the end of the game already? <laughs> are, are, are we not? Are we still? We're not still going? Or... Yeah, all of a sudden it's end game, and you're like, what? What's going on? What happened? What? Like, I don't really remember a whole lot of important stuff that got established during the Valm arc, other yeah, it... than getting the marbles for the Fire Emblem itself. I mean, there was Lucina joining, but that was at the very beginning of it. 
Yeah, it just sort of feels like filler. And considering that it's it's the place where Shadows of Valentia takes place in like the game. Like it's 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 the location of one of the earlier games in the series. Not having any development in that area kind of graded on me. Okay, I wrote four novels worth of fan fiction, and two of those novels were in Valm. Yeah, especially weird that Shadows of Valentia doesn't even have any forward nods to that. It has nods to Grima, but nothing about what would become Valm later or anything like that. Aside from the fact that, you know, Alm is Emperor and they change Valentia to Valm because of him. Oh my gosh, that's where the name comes from. <laughs> I know, it blew my mind at first too. I mean, I, I knew half of that. I knew, okay, they put Alm's name in there, but I, I just realized they merged Valentia and Alm. as like, oh my gosh, really? Like, just here on the podcast. First time. <laughs> Brain exploding, yeah. I, I, the, sorry, Celica, I guess you don't get to be part of it. <laughs> yeah, you just get forgotten, you know? Velica. Also, just still thinking about uh, Shadows of Valentia, where um, Mila and Duma go to sleep and that tree sprouts out. That's actually where you find Tiki in Awakening. So there's a nod there. I do remember that being called the military, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's sort of a forward nod. I mean, a little. I mean, in Shadows of Valencia, not... Oh, you're talking about Shadows of... Okay, I'm starting to get lost in the Fire Emblem lore here. <laughs> well, it's quite it's it's quite simple, you see. <laughs> the Arcanea games, because Yulis uh, was once known as Arcanea. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to confuse oh. you now. <laughs> yeah. So, any other favorite uh, features or moments that stick out or anything like that? I mean, I know we already talked about it, but the ability to support everybody. To get everybody to an A support with everybody. That was amazing for me. Just because I loved the support conversations in the earlier games so much. And having that limited to only five per character drove me up the wall. Yeah, I can see that. Not every character gets to support with every character, but there is a robust variety for people. Yeah, that, that that's fair. Like, okay, yeah, so there's some characters that can't support with everybody else, but I mean, like, being able to fill up your entire support roster for the characters that you have that can support each other, I liked that. I liked having that option to go through and grind supports and just, like, get all this backstory that was locked behind replays in the earlier games. Yeah, I remember spending a while grinding Frederick and Anna together on a map and then realizing that they weren't actually going to support ever. And I was like, <sighs> <laughs> that depressed me. That's one of the things I love seeing in the fandom, though, those um, support conversations that weren't like. Oh, yeah, just, the fan-made supports. The fan-made support conversations. Yeah, especially with characters like Anna, who only has like a very small handful of support options in the game i like seeing her expanded on in the fandom yeah or like the what if stories with crom and cordelia because um they can't support in the game despite the fact that you get them both at the start of the game like cordelia's uh, character yeah, Cord is that she is like incapable of talking to crom so 
it's nice to see yeah, Cordelia a few chapters later. Actually, I remember uh, start-ish of the game. Well, yeah, the, the first arc. Yeah, in the first story arc. But yeah, it's it's nice to see you know what could have been. Aside from that one DLC map where they can talk to each other twice for the only point in the game. Yeah, so I, I did like having that as an option. Having those extra support conversations there. But like I said, I, I, I chase story in these games. Like, I, I devour it. So, for me, it was good. I can see why people wouldn't like it compared to some of the older games. What about you? Did anything else stick out to you? Well, I'm trying to think about it. Hmm. <laughs> I, I will I will admit that um having Yusuke Kozaki do the artwork for it again, I, I've mentioned how I liked how clean the artwork felt. Just his particular style I thought was really good for the story as well. Well I suppose he, he does he seems like a guy who really enjoys what he does, because I saw him... I saw all those extra sketches he did of, like, Fate's characters. And yeah. I think I think it's good for an artist to enjoy their work. Yeah, like, if you go back through his Twitter account, he's actually got all these extra pictures and stuff like that, which I thought was pretty nifty. I do have a big ol' art book of Fire Emblem Awakening, and it comes with some extra info and transcripts of the different support talks and i'm trying to see if there's anything from there that would be useful conversation but nothing comes to mind i haven't cracked that open in a long time (laughs) i actually have that book in both english and japanese i can't read japanese i got it in japanese just because i was like it's fire emblem i must have it But, um, yeah, it actually, like, the art of Fire Emblem Awakening in English is, it actually has a really nice name in Japanese, the Knights of Iris art book, which just sounds a little bit, I don't know, niftier than the art of Awakening. The art of Awakening just sounds like, how to get out of bed. <laughs> how to get out of bed without hating yourself. I think we could all use that book. <laughs> oh, um... I'm really having trouble thinking of any other... Oh, oh! I do remember one moment I really liked, now that I said that I didn't remember, is the first Wallheart map. I didn't know how to turn on enemy ranges and stuff. <laughs> so, so there I was, messing around on the map, trying to slowly inch all my people across, and I also didn't know how to pair up the units at the time, because I... I skipped the tutorial by mistake, or I wasn't paying attention. I had them all standing next to each other, but I didn't have them together on the tile or anything. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly Wallhart just dashes down the map towards Anna, and I'm like, no, no, don't fight her! What are you doing? Because ah, ah. <laughs> he's been built up to be this big, tough guy, and I was like, oh, ah, no, we're gonna fight! No, I wasn't ready! Yeah, yeah. I actually had a similar moment with, um the character Priam on one of the uh, DLC maps. Because as a rule, like the the bosses of these games, the boss characters of these levels don't move. Like unless you move into their like attack range, they will stay stationary until you approach them. Not Priam. 
No, I, I, I moved everybody up. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's where the boss is. This is where all his units are. These guys are going to move here. He's going to stay there. That's great. Okay, I'm going to move up there. And then, like, the next turn, Priam comes towards me with all his units, and I just kind of had that moment of terror because his stats were so ridiculous. I wanted to, like, tank him with, like, six units. Then all of a sudden, he's coming forward with his front line, and I just kind of went, oh, <laughs> this is not going to be fun. No. That map was, th that was where I, I just quit on my first save file because I realized I wasn't nearly optimized enough. Yeah. Second save file, it was a bit of a task, but I eventually did it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, it was, honestly, that map's it felt kind like, of a rook, hmm? I was just going to say, it felt like a lot of work for not a lot of reward. Yeah, it's mainly for bragging rights, unless you really want to use Priam in the challenge maps. Which, really, considering you get him at the end of the game, is all he's good for. Yeah, he's just kind of bragging rights. I think Priam's map maybe could be considered a bit of a rookie breaker. Yeah. Yeah, it separates the boys from the men. Hmm. Actually, or at least the boys from the teenagers. <laughs> Actually, Priam's a fun throwback, because... Um... Priam is meant to be descended from Ike from the Radiance games. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I did, actually. And he has the same fancy glowy sword that Ike gets at the end of the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, well, he, he knowledge bomb. Now that I think of it, we're, we're, we're kind of both watching one of our other friends play through Path of Radiance. It occurs to me, he, ha he doesn't have Ragnall yet, does he? Yet. Huh. Well, because I know he has it in Smash Brothers, so... Well, there's, like, story behind it. Like, I don't want to go into it too much because it'll spoil it for you and spoil it for anybody who hasn't actually played this 20-year-old game. All right, so while we're talking about Priam, uh, any characters we like that stick out to us? Because that... <laughs> the, the the appeal of this game for a lot of people is the characters, so... yeah. I will admit that this game had probably the most likable cast of characters out of any Fire Emblem game so far. Like, there's only a very small amount that I genuinely don't like. I might be inclined to agree with you. Uh, if I had to choose absolute favorites, I don't think I could. Mostly because I'm biased because of the way I write them in my fanfiction, but... um. Okay, okay, hold on. I'm trying to separate, you know, Fanon from canon and in my head. Yeah. While you do that, I'll kind of mention some of my favorite character stuff. Yeah, yeah, you probably, that... probably a good idea. <laughs> Let's see, I mentioned that Lucina was one of the reasons I got into the game, because I thought her story arc sounded cool, and she was pretty cool. I also remember, remember thinking Lunku was pretty cool. I think he's a fan favorite as well. Not... Not to the same extent as certain other characters, but he's 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 pretty well received, I think. Uh, I know Gaius is really popular. I like to do this thing with him and Libra, where I always try to get their A support whenever I play the game because I like I like the idea of like their unlikely buddy road trip movie dynamic they might have or something. Yeah, yeah they they do bounce off each other pretty well in their support conversation. That was one of the better ones I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's hard to hate Donald. Yeah, especially once you, 
once you get out of his opening map, it, it becomes a lot more. It becomes a lot better to use. And once you give him a couple of support, yeah. Yeah, I thought Wallhart was pretty cool. As a villain, yeah, uh, I think Wallhart was probably one of the better villains of the game. But again, underdeveloped. They could have done so much more with him. Yeah, what 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 we had of him was pretty neat, though, and I liked using him whenever I finally got him in the extra cannon map. Yeah, yeah. Feel sort of the same way about Lucina. Like I really like her as a character, not just because she's fun to write, but I, I thought that sort of a lot, especially in her support conversations where she's kind of struggling with this heavy task, like heavy weight that she's got to deal with, but also the fact that she is human and does want to have a life. I thought that was really kind of an interesting look at a character that we don't really get a lot of in Fire Emblem. Also, I'm going to go the uh, path of least resistance and say that uh, Tharja is one of my favorite characters. But, <laughs> hear me out. I know a lot of people don't like her. But once you get into her support conversations away from the Avatar character, you get to see like there is actually depth to this character. Like There is actually a character under all this bad Yandere trope. I will agree with that. It, once you look past all the fan service, which is very hard to do... Because there's a lot of it. Yeah, especially since Nintendo themselves likes to capitalize on it. There is a heart and soul to her. Like, she has some pretty nice conversations with people. I remember her conversation with Noe. That, that's a whole can of worms, but... <laughs> I remember her conversation with her was actually pretty sweet. Yeah, that was the only female support conversation that she can do I'm pretty sure unless you've got a female avatar oh speaking of Noe Gregor it's hard to hate Gregor yeah Gregor is great Gregor is fun I, I had a lot of fun with him I kind of ignored him my first time but in later runs it's like oh yeah get Gregor in here yeah just like the stereotypical token Russian guy you know finishes battle yeah. drinks like an entire bottle of vodka in one go and he's like yeah time for beers He's basically the Fire Emblem heavy weapons guy. Yeah, yeah, he's... And, and like you said, it's hard to hate him. Like, all his support conversations are so genial. His character is just so much fun to see bounce off of everybody else. He's just that nice guy who's always got a smile on his face, he feels like, you know? His support with Long Ku is really fun. I'm trying to remember that. I think I remember that one. Yeah, that one was pretty fun. Where yeah. Lon, Lon Ku wants to fight, and Gregor's just like, mm, no. And when he finally does concede, he just immediately has his sword at the other guy's neck. Is is like, ha ha, I win. Yeah. You want to have a real fight? And he's like, no, it doesn't count. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's definitely a fun character. Um, I'm trying to think, another character that is kind of forgotten by the fandom, I think. I really enjoyed was actually Aversa. Really? Yeah, because, um, like, I, okay, I, I will admit I'm a sucker for the whole tragic backstory thing, and when you do her paralogue and get some of her support conversations with the male avatar, the female avatar support conversations with her are totally pointless. But, yeah, like, just seeing this character actually develop, 
Like, it is so rare to see, especially because you get her so late in the game, to see her develop as much as she does in that short span of time, I thought was really nice. And I, I just feel like uh, she's kind of overlooked. And, and I'm trying to do this without spoiling anything. Like, what we, we already agreed that spoilers aren't a big deal, yeah? Yeah. Like, the whole... Yeah, we, are, we already... Her whole life was a lie, and she has to find this new purpose to her existence. And, you know, joins the Shepherds and still acts like everybody's going to stick a knife in her back, but slowly comes to accept that uh, she is part of the group now, and she doesn't have to be the evil loner anymore. I, I thought that was really nice. I, I really enjoyed that story arc. See, I didn't really get a whole lot out of that that you did, so that's interesting that you say that. I felt like they just kind of shoehorned a lot of that in, because they're like, hey, hot, evil chick, let's just quickly throw a sympathetic backstory at her. Like, oh, okay, now now, now we can feel comfortable with her joining you guys, because other than her male Robin support, she's still kind of the same as she was before. She's just on your side now. But... Maybe maybe I need to take a closer look. There, there's probably some detail that escaped me back then. I, I probably you read don't a always bit, get all the details the first time. I probably time. read a little bit too much into it because at the time, again, when I was writing the fan fiction, I included her in the story, which rubbed a lot of people the, the wrong way, so I kind of had to justify it a lot. Well, yeah, I think you know, you might, if you have the characters, you might as well use them. Uh, it is kind of weird to recruit her, though, because in the game, you can only recruit her in the spot pass characters after the penultimate chapter. She's the boss of that chapter, and the plot is kind of urging you to go fight Grima. The fact that everyone goes out of their way to this random ruins to pick up the lady they just beat in this other part of the world. It's kind of weird to me, but it's a neat map, I'll admit. Actually, that was, like, her map was pretty brutal as well, because I just... I didn't even think about it. I just brought all my most powerful units, and then all of a sudden, I have to fight all my most powerful units, and I just kind of went, ah, this was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, but then, even your weaker units, they're going to be optimized in some way, so... True. No matter what. No matter what, you're kind of screwed. Her story map was also, I remember now, one of the most stressful ones on my first time. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the one where you have to get to the end and there's just infinite reinforcements that start chasing you after a while. That's the one with all the dead lords, isn't it? No, that's a different one. Oh. This is, oh. like, the chase across the volcanic landscape, I think. Yes. I don't know, it's been a while since I played this game. It was a lot easier. A lot of these maps were easier on my second go-around because I learned how to actually play the game. Yeah, you know what you're doing, you know, it's not so bad. When I first fought Grima, I was down to, like, five units remaining. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember the first time I fought Grima, I just... What did I do? I paired up Robin and Lucina and threw them, like, to the wolves and just watched them so... Like, I watched Robin solo this entire map because I had overleveled him to the point of, like, godhood. Because, well, again, this is one of the easier games in the series, and I'm kind of a Fire Emblem veteran, so by that point, it was just kind of like, okay, what you got for me? Yeah. I do remember the second time I played the game, it was actually Lucina who got the kill on the final boss, and I thought, aw, the, there goes my daughter, I'm proud of her. 
<laughs> because like, Robin was her mother at that one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, for all the times I've played this game, I've only done a single female playthrough. Uh, just player preference, oh, one no, way or the I, other. I, I've tried it, because like there are, again, subtle differences in the dialogue and stuff like that when you play as a male or a female. Yeah. Like calling Frederick either Fredrickson or Freddy Bear. <laughs> Freddy Bear. <laughs> oh, that was so dumb. You know, it's. It, I can't believe we haven't mentioned Frederick at all because he's kind of a fan favorite too, but Frederick's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he's. Especially in, like, the Lunatic Plus maps, you need him early game, but he's, like, the standard. Um, pre-promote Jagan archetype that you get in every single Fire Emblem game. So, you know, of course he's going to be there for the most part. He's the extra capable servant type that I really like, and that's what endeared me to Jacob in the other game. But Frederick is just... I think he's like really synonymous with early Fire Emblem Awakening in my mind. Especially, you know, the infamous Pick a God and Pray... You can't talk about Frederick without that. That's a good line, though. Like, that that was a it really is. cool line. It is a good line. Until the enemy activates Miracle. <laughs> and, you know, he's just kind of sitting there on his horse like, well, this is awkward now. Like, well, uh, you good listener. <laughs> so, any other characters we'd like to discuss or anything? I feel like it's worth mentioning Anna just because she's like the, the, what's the word? The, um, 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 mascot, uh, mascot. That's the one, the mascot of the series. And she is so much fun. No matter what she does, she is fun. she's got the whole same, like the same energy as Gregor, you know, like energetic and fun. And no matter who she's talking to, she's just kind of like bubbly and awesome. Even if her support conversations get really weird at the end, where it's just kind of like, hey, we should get married. What? Well, uh, I think there was, a, there was a pretty neat arc with hers. It's like Robin trying to teach her that there's more to the world than just what money can do. And finding love is kind of... It's cheesy, but you know, in this game, it's, it's a reasonable conclusion to their arc, I think. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of fun the way it happens, you know? I did say that she was the first marriage option I went with when I played the game because uh, I thought there was a different support she could get that would only happen if they were married, but then I realized that was just the Tiki support, and I was like, oh. But nah, I still liked it because... It is a, a cheesy, dumb thing of well, you know, marry the mascot of the series on your first one. They'll be, they'll get me in good. I thought, <laughs> but yes, I do enjoy the Anna character as well, and uh, she's surprisingly fun in the fandom as well. Like I've seen a lot of short stories and a lot of um, people work with her and just kind of have a lot of fun with her. Oh yeah, she's pretty fun. Because that's the, the that's the whole point, isn't it? Just fun. Just the, the, it's a video game. It's meant to be fun. It's not meant to make you cry. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what I generally tend to believe. I know some people would argue that with more artsy games and stuff, but I think 
Well, really, at the end of the day, video games are about getting you money because of all the quarters they cost at the arcades. But <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna look too far back. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun and likable characters. You know what else I like about the game, Ben, is the soundtrack. Oh yeah, it definitely had one of the better soundtracks in the series. I will say, like overall, the soundtrack was better than some of the earlier games, but some of the boss themes in those early Fire Emblem games were just like, mm! like you don't want the fight to end. You you go for like the longest <laughs> fight animations that you your characters can make just so you can hear these really cool battle themes, like the. He's not the end boss. He's the boss before the end boss in um, the first Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem, uh, Blazing Blade. Um, Nurgle's fight theme was just kind of like <clears throat> this organy sort of epic sound. And you're just kind of like, oh, this is so cool. I, I feel like that was kind of lacking a little bit from Awakening. But like the map themes and the um, character themes especially in Awakening, were definitely very good. Yeah. Awakening introduced this uh, feature, I, I, I guess, where the map theme would just dynamically shift into a battle variation of the theme whenever you get into the fights. And I hear that's not in the other ones. That was new to Awakening. Yes, yes it was. It was actually really kind of nifty because uh, especially if you have the soundtrack like I do going through it, you hear like the kind of calm, chill uh, field song and then all of a sudden it kicks up a notch in the next one, uh, the next couple of seconds and you've got the battle theme going on. You're like, yeah, this is getting me pumped. Yeah. So today's favorite songs, it's a section I do near the end of every episode. We've been going on for quite a while. Sorry, uh, this is one of my favorite games, yeah. <laughs> that's that's usually the logic of my guest, is I, I pick a person I know who really likes the game, and then it tends to tends to make the episode a little longer. You saw a million words of fanfiction, you had to see this coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, if, if you go to my Mother 3 episode of the show by any chance, my guest there, it's his favorite game. We had to split it into three episodes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all in like the 40 minute range too all three parts that's that's intense that's really cool yeah today's favorite songs i'm gonna pick a few of my favorite songs i know you mentioned to me that you don't remember all the names of the songs but i might know a few of them or they might be one of the ones that are egregiously named after dialogue from the scene yeah yeah but uh Let's see, one of my favorites, and I'm glad it's included in Smash Brothers, is the grinding theme, Conquest. I like both versions of it, to be honest. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, that was a pretty cool song. My favorite song is, um, and not just because the title is fun, but it, it's, it's one of the story songs. I, I think the title translates to I Just Got a Bug in My Mouth. Oh, it it's like this. <laughs> it's the fun one where like the characters in cutscenes are doing something goofy. It's that's the song that plays. I see. 
but yeah, that's that's one of my favorite songs in the thing, just because every time it would come on, I would start bobbing along to it with my 3DS in my hands, and everybody would be looking at me funny. Like I think there's like a song that was like "Wog Gopher in my super," something like that. <laughs> I, I I don't know if that's actually what any of the songs are called. I, I remember that combination of words for some reason. Yeah the the soundtrack had such weird names for these songs. Yeah, yeah. to give to give Fates a little bit of credit, they they got their act together and named the songs yeah song titles and not just random dialogue. Another song I like is Divine Decree, which plays in climactic maps. I like all the versions of that, too. Yeah, yeah, no, just off the top of my head, I remember that being a really cool song. Yeah, the song for when Walhart's about to charge up is like, no, 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 no. Yeah, and Divine Decree starts playing, and you're like, ah, oh, this is going to end badly. Well, oh no, that way, that's, that's his map theme, not his fight theme, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah. I, I I will say I like the Awakening version of the main theme, like the uh, Fire Emblem theme song, just because every version of this game has a different arrange of this song. I like the Awakening's version. It's it's just a song that plays in like the opening movie. That's fair. But yeah, no, I thought I thought, you know, it's a nice throwback to the earlier games. I like the way that they've modernized it. I guess. Without having fair. horrible singing over the top of it like Fire Emblem Heroes does. <laughs> Fire Emblem <sighs> Heroes. I don't know what this sounds like. I actually like mute my phone when I'm play like when I am opening the app just because I can't stand the song. Oh. <laughs> uh let's see. Another song I like, I'm, I'm kind of going for a lot of easy pickings here, but the I think it's, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I think it's Don't Speak Her Name. It's the really sad one that plays even through the fights on the rainy level shortly after Emerin throws herself off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, all the feels kind of gets you right in the feels. Yeah, that was, you know, that was another memorable moment that... I, I forgot to mention earlier, but uh, yeah. Actually, that's probably one of the uh, features that I thought was probably the best that I forgot to mention earlier, having these cutscenes by, um, who was it? Studio Madhouse, I think, did the cutscenes for it? Maybe. I could be wrong, but yeah, just having these cutscenes and having halfway decent voice acting. The cool anime cutscenes, yeah. This was around the time Nintendo decided to start using known voice actors, because I think this was close to when Kid Icarus Uprising came out, and they had veteran voice actors in there, too. Yeah, it actually surprised me when I found out that Matt Mercer did, like, Crom's voice. It, it was sort of like, wow, he's a big name. How did Nintendo manage to land him? They just stopped pulling in people from, like, the office. It's like, hey, uh, hey, Fred, could you just voice this guy real fast for us? <laughs> okay, that's definitely a fair assessment of the cutscenes from Path of Radiance, yeah. Yeah. Hey, brother, look! <laughs> it's like Resident Evil all over again. 
I guess we can't really talk about the soundtrack without talking about the final map theme. Yeah, well, uh, I, well, I thought the boss themes were kind of lacking from this game. That final map theme was definitely epic. Oh, yeah. Epic. Hey, gamers. <laughs> Sorry, epic is kind of a curse word in the uh, gaming community right now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I get what you mean, though. I agree. It's very exciting and like... Like, I think as soon as, like, the last few chapters, I was thinking, okay, this is the last chapter. This is the last chapter. And then when I heard this song, I was thinking, all right, for sure this time, this is the last chapter. Yeah, a song this cool, yeah, this is it, this is definitely the end. Yeah. And uh, then they, they put it in Smash Brothers, and then they took out one of the sections and made it kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Still, like, just in context of Fire Emblem, the Awakening, the game, yeah, it was definitely good in Awakening. Yeah. It's not... They didn't neuter it in Smash Brothers as badly as they did engage the enemy from Xenoblade, but... <laughs> still. Or the DK rap from Melee. Even I got that reference and I barely played Smash, so... <laughs> So, I think we're at about the end of the episode. Any stray thoughts on Fire Emblem Awakening? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Not really. Um, honestly, like I already said, this is probably definitely one of the highlights of the series, of the franchise as a whole. I wish it had come out a little later and Nintendo could have capitalized on the whole merchandising thing that uh, the Japanese entertainment industry is de is doing these days i mean we got a couple of figures and like merchandise -y bits but uh like it would have been nice to see an anime series for this just in my yeah, opinion but i mean you could say that fire emblem only has that because of this game so true if 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 not here then true because you know the common story is that this game saved the series, which I, I hear is a bit of an over-exaggeration of what actually happened, but it was, is worth mentioning. I was actually just about to bring that up. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, I wouldn't say it saved the series. Like, Intelligent Systems wasn't, like, about to go bankrupt and never make another game again because they make the Warrior well, no, games. No, not the company, just... Not the company, just Fire Emblem. Yeah, like, it saved... Ah, saved. They said it would be the last Fire Emblem game if it didn't sell well. And to sell well, like, their projected sales were really low to begin with, so... Like, the story of them throwing all these features at the wall and hoping something sticked, yeah, that's true. Like, they just decided to throw everything that they had done before Awakening into hey guys, this game. let's try... Yeah, like they, that's what they did, and I thought it worked well. It actually worked well for them. Got a lot of newcomers. It definitely is the game that made the franchise, like that got the franchise all this attention, though. That that that's clear. No, I got no, I got no other thoughts to add. <laughs> uh, me neither. It's a good game. If you still haven't played it yet for some reason, I don't know. I would recommend it. If you're into strategy RPGs, it's one of the most accessible games in the series. 
Uh, Ben, before we go, do you have any plugs you'd like to make? Oh, yes. Um, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, follow me on Twitter at MetalloverCab, C-A-B, all in caps. Uh, you can read my fanfiction by looking up Metal Lover Fanfiction in Google. I'm on um, Archive of Our Own and Fanfiction.net, so you can find me there. Um, yeah, mostly Fire Emblem fanfiction. Yeah, I, I believe you have another project on YouTube that we're both part of, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Unless yes. that ended and I wasn't made aware of that or anything. I, I don't think it's ended. I think it's just kind of on ice because we all kind of ran out of steam on it. We were all kind of working on other things in between and sort of lost uh, focus, I guess you could say. But yeah, um, we... Because <laughs> it's like three steps removed from Fire Emblem Awakening at this point. We... Like, I wrote fan fiction. Like, I wrote a fan novelization of Fire Emblem Awakening I called Invisible Ties. And then we decided to adapt it into an audio drama for reasons that are lost to time. But, uh, yeah, Invisible Ties on YouTube. Uh, Neckties You Can't See is the name of the channel. We did, like, a couple... What did we do? Like, four or five episodes? Yeah, we did a few episodes, and then... If neckties you can't see. I just suggested that name as a joke, but everyone ran with it, and I still don't understand. Hey, names are hard, man, okay? Oh yeah, names are pretty hard. It took me a while to think of the bit cast for this. So yeah, if anybody wants to give us grief about having a lame name for the channel, it's it's your fault. So yeah, I'm going to point them in your it direction is. now. It's my fault. <laughs> and maybe while you're here... Maybe while you're here yelling at me, you could listen to the BitCast on Podcast One's website and mobile app. <laughs> you can also find the BitCast on iTunes, and I also have a Twitter page. It's the BitCast. I, I, ben and I actually follow each other, so if you if you find one of us, you'll find the other one before long. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Shows you how much I use Twitter. Like, I, I'm, I kind of upload stuff from time to time. <laughs> well, all right. I think, I think we've said everything we need to say. So, you guys out there, you know what to do. We will see you on the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.